Hi, and thanks for listening to another audio podcast from Creekside Community Church, Narangba, Queensland. For more information and resources, please visit our website at www.creekside.org.au. Raise your hand up nice and high if you have been to a movie and you thought to yourself, I don't really want to go to this movie, but for some reason you decided to go to it. Okay, I'm going to pick on somebody real quick over here. What was the name of the movie? Pitch Perfect. Okay. That's, that's a pretty good movie to be reluctant to go to. Sorry for all of you musical fans in the room. Um, anybody in this section went to a movie that you reluctantly went to? I just met this gentleman at the beginning of the service today, and I feel bad for, like, this is his first time ever in church, but his friend who brought him is pointing at him. So Joel, Joel, did, do you want to make Nathan answer the question? That really is a first-time guest. That's your default. You can do that. Bridge to Terabithia. Okay, yeah. Anybody in this section that saw one? Janine, did you have your hand up? You don't like kids' movies. So what's the name of the kids' movie you went to because your kids wanted to go? Just let it, let it go. Just let it go. Shrek, okay. Okay, anybody in this section that's willing to go with, hey, I went to this movie reluctantly. Anybody? Yes? Lord of the Rings, Okay. I have trouble, I'm going to share with you a little bit of, about myself, I have trouble with films that I think could not be real. I don't like going to movies that I think couldn't be real. So I love war stories. I just went and saw a fantastic movie a, a week or so ago, 1917, if you haven't seen it, fantastic film. I love reality type movies, which is a problem for my children because they like going to movies that they think could be real, but I'm trying to explain to them, Marvel is never going to be real, okay? Lord of the Rings, Star Wars, like, it's never gonna be, and so we have these debates, we have these battles, but I sometimes reluctantly go to movies, and this past week, or sorry, a little over a week ago now, I went to a movie on New Year's Day reluctantly, very reluctantly, I might say, So today's message, because we're in the middle of a series called At The Movies, and if you haven't been with us, maybe you're here for the first time, you can catch up online, you can go to our website, um, creekside.org.au, and you can listen to the first part of the series. My good friend Mark Broadbent did a fantastic job pulling some great truths out of Star Wars films and the entire kind of genre of Star Wars film. Then last week, we talked about a movie called Ford versus Ferrari, which if you are not an automobile car racing movie fan, you still need to go see it because it's a fantastic story just in and of itself. Today, though, I think you could title the message we're going to talk about today, Two Lessons I Learned from a Movie I Was Reluctant to See. New Year's Day, 8 o'clock in the morning, I leave my house, I go to the movie theater, I buy three tickets, one for myself, one for my wife, and one for my daughter, Olivia, who's 16 years old. I buy them two coffees so that when they arrive at the movie, because they slept in, they would have their coffees and they would have their tickets. We then went into the movie theater. At the door of the cinema we were going into stands an usher, at which point I had to pull out my wallet, take out my man card, and hand over my man card, because I went to see Little Women. 
I looked, yeah, you can cheer. Some of you can cheer for that. Reluctantly, I went to see Little Women. There were about 200 people in the movie theater at like 9, 9.30 on New Year's Day. What did they do the night before? Doesn't anyone party like it's, you know, 1990 or something like that? They, were, they obviously weren't up late. There were hundreds of women in this cinema, and I was one of three men. And we all just looked at each other. Yeah, you too? Yeah, me too. I reluctantly went to this movie, but during the film, there were a couple of lessons that I just thought were incredibly powerful lessons. If you're not familiar with Little Women, it's one of the most read novels of all time. And because of that, they've actually made six different versions of this movie. Two of them are silent, probably should have gone to those ones, but then the four most recent ones, since real movies with you know, music and, and talking and so on, have been blockbusters. The most, uh, the most recent one before this one was in the kind of the early 90s, and now in 2020, we have another version of Little Women. And if you're not familiar with the story, I want to just give you a short synopsis of what the story is all about, and then we're going to dive into the lessons that we can learn. You'll have to go see it for yourself. Here's what I learned, though, from the very beginning of the movie. All four of these girls were all given labels early on in life. They were defined by something they were good at. So one of the girls was a great writer, Joe, and she was told to be a writer. And then one of the other girls, Meg, was a great actress, and one of the others was a great musician. One of the others was a great artist. And so they were really labeled at an early age as to what they were good at. And then I watched as the film develops, as the story develops, as society and these labels began to kind of push them in a certain direction in life. In fact, you heard it there in the clip that one of the aunts said that one of the girls was a completely lost cause because she was all about her writing and she would never, ever get married. But this other girl who loved boys, she was the hope of the family. And society in those days honestly believed that if a woman never, ever married, she was probably never going to be successful in life. Unless, of course, you're like the aunt who was rich already. That's why she was successful. Here's what I've learned from this movie. And I think it's true for all of us in life is that oftentimes we are given in life labels. At an early age, we're given labels. At an early age, things are spoken about us or spoken over us. Not just at an early age, but even as we get older, throughout our entire lives, oftentimes there are labels that are given to us inadvertently that can cause us to think about things differently than what we should and quite potentially cause us to go in a direction that maybe wasn't planned for us in the first place. Some of the labels that we're given are actually quite positive. When I think of positive labels, I actually put together a list. Some of these labels maybe are things that people have said about you. Maybe you're fun or smart, athletic. I remember when I was a kid in school, I got the first one. I didn't get the second one as a label, but I did get the third one, which led me to go on to study phys ed because I wasn't exactly smart, but I was athletic, and so I could at least blow a whistle, rally some kids to play a game in the playground, and that's why I studied PE. For all the PE teachers in the room, I apologize, but we all know it's kind of true. So, beautiful, strong, kind, polite, committed, confident, focused, thoughtful, energetic. These are some of the positive labels that people can give us, and oftentimes they will begin to kind of create a direction in our life. But the opposite of these positive labels is true as well. I put together a short list of negative labels that sometimes people have heard in their life. Boring, 
stupid, clumsy, ugly, weak, hurtful, rude, unfaithful, insecure, scattered, selfish, lazy. I remember when I started year seven, first year of high school. I was 13 years old. I had known this friend of mine throughout primary school for about three years, a guy named Matthew. And I remember it was in that season of life, you remember especially the guys in the room back to kind of those middle school, high school years, transition years. Some guys grow quicker than the other guys in the class. Matthew was one of those guys that matured really early in life. And so he was a big guy. I, on the other hand, didn't start growing until I was in like year nine. And so I was probably one of the smallest guys in seventh grade at our school. I'll never forget this one afternoon, we went to the bus stop after school to catch the bus. Some of the bigger guys in year seven that matured faster than some of us smaller guys thought they were big and tough. And I remember clearly this friend of mine, Matthew, pushing me to the ground at the bus stop, kicking me, laughing and saying, you're so small and you're so weak. And all of the other bigger kids laughing in the background. This friend that I had had for three or four years pushing me to the ground and saying, Jason, you're so small and you're so weak. Here's the thing about labels. Labels are incredibly powerful. Incredibly powerful. That incident happened 30 years ago. I'm 43 years old. As a 13-year-old boy, this friend of mine, Matthew, pushed me to the ground, told me I was weak and that I was small, and that label has been with me for 30 years because labels are powerful. As you hear that story, maybe you have your own story. Maybe it's not weak or small. Maybe it's another label that somebody gave you when you were young, or maybe it was a, a spouse. Maybe it was a parent. Maybe it was somebody that you worked with. Labels are incredibly powerful things. And as I watched the story of these four little women, I saw the power that these labels had in their stories as well. Here's the reason why I think labels are so powerful. Labels are powerful because they are sticky. They stay with you. 30 years, Jason, you're weak, you're small. 30 years later, that label, those labels have stuck with me. Maybe for some of you, somebody one time called you boring. And that label has literally stuck with you for the last 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, I don't know how long. Maybe somebody called you rude. Maybe it was a parent or somebody you worked with said you're a rude person and that label has stuck with you. Perhaps some of you in the room had somebody call you ugly at some point in your life. And whether it's true or not, that label of being ugly has never left you since the day it was spoken to you. Some of you in the room, like me, in school weren't called smart. Maybe you were called dumb. Or maybe they didn't call you dumb, but the little score at the top of your test reflected the fact that you weren't as smart as the other kids in the class. And so with that label, you've carried this idea that you're not the smart person in the room, that you don't really understand things as well as other people do, and you've carried that label with you your whole life. For some of you, you got a label like I did when I was a little kid, when I was in seventh grade, when somebody said, Jason, you're weak, and that label has stuck with me for 30 years. Some of you have just been told over and over again in your life that you are not enough. In whatever area of your life it is, maybe it's at work, 
Maybe it was a parent. Maybe it was a spouse. Maybe it was even your child or some other loved one who said you weren't enough. And that label of not being enough has stuck with you your whole life. Some of you have been called selfish, and that stuck with you. Some of you have been called hurtful, and that label has stuck with you. Labels are incredibly powerful because labels are sticky. As I'm watching the movie, Little Women, and I'm thinking about all these labels that these girls had gotten, positive ones, negative ones that were beginning to shape the direction of their life, a question came to my mind that I want us to wrestle with this morning. The question is simply this, who has the right to label you? Who has the right to take one of these labels and stick it on you? And I know because we're in church, everyone's going to come up with the classic Sunday school answer because every time you ask a question in Sunday school, it's one of three answers. It's Bible, Jesus, or God. No matter what the question is, you yell out Jesus, Bible, or God, you're probably going to get the right answer. So right now, you may be thinking to yourself, well, who has the right to label me? God. Because that's the Sunday school answer that even if you're not a church person, you're like, well, I'm in church. Obviously, the answer to this question, who has the right to label someone, has to be God. But I want us this morning to go a little bit deeper than just the Sunday school answer to this question. I want us to talk about a couple of attributes of God that I think actually answer the question and define for us who has the right to label us. Paul, one of the very first followers of Jesus back in the first century, he was a prolific letter writer. Talk about a label. This guy had a label as being a letter writer. This guy wrote a lot of letters. In fact, the second half of the Bible, if you're not familiar with the Bible, or you're new to the whole church thing, the second half of the Bible called the New Testament, Paul, one individual, wrote more than half of the New Testament. He wrote a lot of letters that make up the second half of the Bible that we look at today as Christians. In one of his letters to a group of early Christians living in Rome in the first century, Paul actually answers this question for us. Who has the right to label us? It's a passage that if you've been in church for any length of time, you're probably familiar with these verses, but you may not have looked at them in light of this question before. And in these two verses, I believe we can find a profound truth that answers this question. Who has the right to label us? Paul starts, he says, do not conform to the pattern of this world. When I think of the girls in that movie, the pattern of the world that they lived in at that time is that all women needed to get married in order for their life to be successful. Joe, one of the main characters, didn't want to conform to the pattern of the world that she lived in. So she fought off the guys and she fought off all of society's expectations of her because she didn't want to conform to the pattern of the world that she lived in. Paul is saying the same thing to those of us that are followers of Jesus. Just because somebody labels you, just because society has some expectation of you, doesn't mean you have to conform to the pattern or the mold that they want you to conform to. Literally, it's kind of like a, a sewing term. Many of you are familiar with sewing and making clothes, and you get a pattern, and you follow the pattern, you cut out the material, you put together the clothes based upon the pattern or the plan that is given. Paul is literally saying, don't be conformed to the pattern or the plan that this world is trying to push onto you. But rather, he says, 
He says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So don't just go with the label that society has given you. Don't just go with the label that your parents or maybe a coworker or a friend or some teacher in school that you had gave to you. Don't just go with that. Be transformed by renewing your mind. It's actually a, a medical fact that our minds over time, when we think about things over and over again, the labels that people have given us creates actual ruts in our mind medically that create these neuro pathways that cause us to think about these same things over and over and over again. And yet the human brain has this incredible ability to renew itself and create new pathways of thinking when we renew our mind, not with what the world has labeled us with, but better than that. Paul goes on to say, then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will, God's pattern, God's plan is for your life. Not what people's plan is, not what people's labels are for you. You'll be able to test as you renew your mind with what God says about you, what God's plan is, his good, pleasing, and perfect plan for you. Who has the right to label you? The Sunday school answer, God. The answer to the question, who has the right to label you, when it comes to God is simply this. The manufacturer of your life is the one who has the right to label you. The one that created you has the right to label you. I use a uh, iPhone. On the back of my iPhone is emblazoned on the back of the phone and etched into the phone a tiny little apple. The reason why Apple is allowed to put that logo on the back of my phone is because they manufactured the phone. The reason why Nike can put their logo on a pair of shoes that I run in is because Nike was the one who manufactured the shoe. The reason why Ford can put their logo on the front of my truck is because they are the ones who manufactured my truck. The reason why God has the right to label us and to share his plan with us for our lives is because he is the one who manufactured us. Even if you're not a church person, even if you're not sure about the whole God thing, you're not sure about the Bible, and man, it's hard to really believe that somebody died on a cross, was buried, and after three days came back to life. That's a bit of a stretch for you. I'm with you. That is a big stretch of faith that somebody came back to life. Even if you're not sure of all of that, the reality is God loved you so much, he created you, that gives him the right to be able to label you. And the labels he has for you are far greater than most of the labels that people have given you throughout your life. No matter, no matter who has labeled you in the past, only your creator has the right to label you. No matter what people have said about you in the past, no matter what your parents said or your teacher said or the person at school that you hung out with or that person at work that labeled you with whatever, only your creator has the right to truly label you. Here's what I've discovered over time. There's a problem with focusing on others' labels of you. They cause you, quite possibly, to miss God's plan for you. When you focus on what everybody else has said about you, when you focus on what they have labeled you to be, you oftentimes will miss what God actually wants for you, and you could miss his plan by focusing on what others say about you. 
Not only focusing on what others say about you. Let's be honest. We oftentimes don't just focus on what others say about us. We have a problem listening to the labels we give ourselves. And focusing on the label that you give yourself can also cause you to miss God's plan for you. We struggle with these self-doubts. We struggle with this dialogue that we have with ourselves. And not only do the labels that other people give to us cause us to miss God's plan, but I'm convinced that oftentimes even the labels we give ourselves through this self-dialogue that we listen to all day, every day, can cause us to miss God's plan for our lives. So who has the right to label us? Not just the Sunday school answer, God, but more specifically, the manufacturer has the right to label us. Not only is God the manufacturer of our lives, but he also has another attribute that helps to answer this question, who has the right to label you? One of the earliest followers, one of the very first followers of Jesus, even before Paul came along, was a guy named Peter. Peter walked with Jesus, spent a lot of time with Jesus. He's famous because he was out on the boat and walked on the water with Jesus, all that crazy stuff that he did with Jesus. And he wrote some letters that also helped to answer this same question for us of who has the right to label us. Listen to what Peter said. He said, for you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors. Peter says, God didn't redeem you. God didn't purchase you back. God didn't buy you back from a life that was filled with emptiness that your ancestors or society or culture has molded you into. This emptiness in life that so many people experience in our culture today and have for many years for the history of mankind Man has oftentimes experienced a great emptiness. God redeemed us from that way of life that is so empty, not with gold and silver, not with riches and wealth. Peter says it's way better than that. He didn't buy us back with wealth and riches from this way of empty living. He says, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. It's why a moment ago, we didn't celebrate communion by passing around some gold and silver and precious stones to remind us of the cost that God paid on our behalf to win us back from this empty way of life. We don't pass around elements of riches to remind us of the price that God paid. We pass around a cup that has juice in it that reminds us of the blood of Christ that was used to pay for us to redeem us back, to buy us back from this empty way of living. Peter says that's what it cost the God of the universe to buy you back. Then he goes on to describe Jesus. He says he, Jesus, was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him, Jesus, you believed in God, who raised him, Jesus, from the dead and glorified him, Jesus, and so your faith and your hope are in God. He describes Jesus as this purchaser, this one that bought back our life of emptiness. And because of Jesus, we can actually have a life filled with hope, filled with faith, not because of wealth that God used to buy us back on his behalf, 
but because of the blood of Christ. So who has the right to label us in our lives? The manufacturer and the purchaser are the ones who have the right. Just like I take my iPhone and Apple has put their logo on it, the moment that I buy the phone, I have the right, because I'm a purchaser, to put my name on the phone. The same is true with God. The moment that he bought you back with the blood of Jesus, he is the only one as the manufacturer and the purchaser that has the right to label you. I love using online shopping, and one of my favorite places to buy things is this site called eBay. How many people have used eBay? I'm sure many of you in the room have used eBay. One of the fascinating things about eBay is that you can put something on eBay that you think is worth about $5, and over a day or two, all of a sudden, someone on the other side of the world can think that that thing is worth $500 and buy it from you for that price. Several years ago, a person in California was making a toasted cheese sandwich. They made this toasted cheese sandwich, and when it popped up out of the grill, they looked at the toasted cheese sandwich, and on the outside of the sandwich, they could see a face that had been in the grill. And they looked at the face, and they said, that looks a lot like the Virgin Mary. So they got their little toasted cheese sandwich, put it in a Ziploc bag, closed it up, took a photo of it, put it on eBay for about 20 bucks to see if anyone would buy a toasted cheese sandwich that had kind of an outline of the face of the Virgin Mary. This is crazyville, folks. Somebody purchased the toasted cheese sandwich with the face of the Virgin Mary on it on eBay for $24,000. $24,000. Because at the end of the day, the real value of something is actually ultimately found in what someone is willing to pay for it. That's really what the real value is. Ultimately, it's only found in what somebody is willing to pay for it. When you think about your life and how much the God of the universe was willing to pay, that's where we find our real value from. Your real value is found in what God was willing to pay for you. Not in what somebody labeled you. Your real value is found in what the God of the universe was willing to pay to win you back from a life of emptiness. It's the blood of Jesus Christ, the greatest thing in the universe, his only son, his one and only son Jesus, was how valuable you are to the God of the universe. So on a practical level, whether you're a Jesus follower or not a Jesus follower, whether you've been in church your whole life or maybe you're just coming back to church after being gone a little while, when it comes to labels, when it comes to our value as human beings, I'm convinced all of us in the room, church person, not a church person, follower of Jesus, not sure if he even existed or not, we all need to see our value as God sees our value. Not as somebody else labels you. Not as somebody else values you. We all need to begin to look at our value in life based upon how God sees your value. And he valued you so much, he gave his one and only son for you. I've asked Shania and a few of the girls in our church to come. And they're going to sing a song 
a popular song that you've probably heard on the radio that I think really summarizes what we've been talking about today in a very powerful way. Lauren Daigle sings these words in the chorus. She says this, You say I am loved when I can't feel a thing. You say I am strong when I think I am weak. You say I am held when I am falling short. When I don't belong, oh, you say that I am yours. Let me pray for us this morning. Father, this morning, as we are reminded afresh of how much you value us, God, I pray that you would help us to stop looking at the labels and listening to the labels that other people have given us. God, I pray that you would help us to stop listening to and looking at the labels that we've even given ourselves. God, I pray that you would help us by the power of your Holy Spirit to begin to look at how you see us and how you value us. God, we, may we begin to see the incredible cost that you paid to win us back from a life of emptiness, as Peter described it. Would you help us to focus on how you see us as valuable, that we might renew our minds and that we might not be conformed to the patterns of this world, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
failure, God, and you'll have every victory. Ooh, and you say I am loved when I can't feel a thing. And you say I am strong when I think I am weak. And you say I am held when I am falling short. Thank you so much, girls. My hope for all of us today, whether you've been going to church your whole life or maybe this is your first time in church in a long time or ever, my hope is that you will begin this week to see your value the way that God sees your value. Let me pray for us. God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for these words of truth that you have preserved for us for literally hundreds of years from the first century that help us to understand the answer to the question, who has the right to label us and value us? It's only you. Help us to understand that this week, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.